Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. We're in this season as a church um, with a series of talks on make room. And the purpose of the talks is that we're trying to find out some ways we can make room in our life uh, to hear God's voice more, to hear Jesus a bit more. And in turn, that should transform a little bit of what we do. And uh, what's coming up is Fasting Feb. So um, you're going to hear a little bit more about that at the end of the service, where we're going to dedicate a whole month to uh, maybe restricting and limiting and silencing some of the noise that can surround us so much in this world and in turn uh, try and listen to Jesus and what he wants to say to us as a church and us as individuals a little bit more. Uh, And so uh, this morning, the question I've got for you is, when was the last time, when was the last time you looked at a situation and thought, if only things weren't that way? If only that didn't happen. If only I could change that a little bit. When was the last time you looked at a situation and thought, if only things weren't that way. If only I could get a different job. If only I had different family members. Anyone think that over Christmas? If only I could get that new car. If only I could find that perfect guy or that perfect girl. If only. (laughs) Thank you for your offer there, Steve. (laughs) The perfect guy. (laughs) If anyone's looking. (laughs) Where's your your wife today, Steve? (laughs) What's what's happened? (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Um, I'm a, I'm a big if only guy when I'm watching sports. I don't know about you, but, um, this depends, depends the sport you're watching. Rugby World Cup, if only Pollard had missed that penalty in the dying minutes against England. Oh, still hurts. Football World Cup, if only Kane had scored the second penalty to take it to 2-2 against France. Still hurts. It's all right still hurts. I'm a big if only guy. And what we do is we use that phrase, we use that phrase if only as a way of like dreaming of a different set of scenarios, a different situation, a way life could change. If only we had a magic wand and we could point at that situation or that circumstance or that area of our life, if only we could change it a little bit. And I think it speaks to some of the challenges we can face in life sometimes. Financially, we can think, if only I had a little bit more money. If only I had a little bit more left over at the end of the month. In our relationships, we can think, if only I hadn't said that thing or acted that way. If only I could go back in time and change the way I responded in that moment. In the workplace, if only I got the opportunities that that person gets. If only I got the same opportunities that other people get. At school, I remember this, if only the teachers would treat me fairly. If only... They would treat me fairly in school or in our, in our health. If only, if only I didn't feel that way. If only I didn't have to deal with that condition. If only, if only, if only, if only. And what that phrase does 
is it speaks of someone who has no power over the situation they're in. It speaks of someone who can't change it, who can't do anything about it. So instead, they're left with wishful thinking. If only things could be different. If only things could be different. It speaks of someone who is at the mercy of the system. It speaks of someone who can't do anything to impact the situation. But here's the thing, church. If you believe in Jesus, then if only should never be you. If you believe in Jesus, if only should never be you. See, if you believe in Jesus, in Romans 6, it says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave lives in you. The same spirit, the same power, the same person. So if only should never be you. And if you believe in Jesus, Jesus himself says that you have authority to overcome all power of the enemy. So if only should never be you. Because you have been empowered to deal with these problems and these challenges that we can face. So wishful thinking, pretending that we don't have any power or authority, not understanding who we truly are, if only should never be you if you believe in Jesus. But that begs the question, what do we do when we face problems then? Because we know we're empowered as believers of Jesus. We know that his spirit lives within us. We know that we have power over all authority of the enemy. But what do we do when we face these problems? Because just knowing that doesn't mean the financial problems don't come. And just knowing that doesn't stop the relational problems happening or the health problems. Just knowing that isn't enough. So what do we do when we actually face these problems? And to help us answer that question, we're going to take a little look at one of the strangest miracles um, that, that I, at least I find it very strange. Um, is Jesus turning water into wine in John chapter 2. All right, this is, this is what we're going to read today. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, I mean, Jesus probably drank most of it. When the wine was gone, that was a joke. He might have done, who knows, to be honest. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. See, the situation started with a problem. They're at a wedding and the wines run out. And like culturally, this is a problem. Culturally, it's a sign of, of not having enough money, of not planning well. And it could mean a family loses some status. Now, is it a life or death problem? No. It's not life or death. But what this tells me is Jesus isn't just interested in the life or death scenarios in our life. He's not just interested in when everything's on the line. Jesus cares about the trivial just as much as he cares about the life or death situations because he loves you so much. All right. Jesus' response. Woman. I've considered uh, seeing if I can get Romeo to call Amy woman this week. And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's not very happy when he calls her mum. She, she wants mummy all the time. So uh, maybe say woman for another week. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replies. I mean, what a response. My hour has not yet come. You know what this tells me? Jesus had no intention of rectifying the problem of lack of wine. Like he was having a good time. He's with his disciples. He's partying. He's enjoying himself. 
Like he's, he's not in this moment thinking, oh, this is an opportunity for me to do something special. He's not, he's just chilling out, having a good time. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, this is a ridiculous thing for the servants to do. Like, they're not naive here. They've just filled them up with water. Like, they, they know what's going on. So why on earth would they take that to the master of the banquet and draw it out in the same way they would wine? Like, that is an utterly atrocious thing to do. Like, what were they thinking? Like, Jesus doesn't have a huge track record of miracles by this point. Like, it, this isn't, like, long into his story. Bible talks about how this is the first thing he did. So it's not like there's heaps of faith and experience and knowledge of what this massive uh, healer guy does around Nazareth and Galilee and Cana. This is, like, the first time anything's happened. And yet the servants don't know what they were thinking. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Like, what a ridiculous story. And like, what a ridiculous thing to do is like your first true miracle turning water into wine such a trivial thing on the third day at a wedding and yet Jesus revealed his glory through it and, uh, and it all started it all started with Mary recognizing a problem it all started with Mary recognizing there was a problem in this moment and, uh, and we live in a society that is phenomenal at recognizing problems our media are incredible recognizing the problems that surround us. I um, saw on, on Thursday on Sky News, there was a headline, and it said, UK economy grows by 0.3%, which you'd think is a good thing. Second sentence, but recession still looms. It's like they're just, they're looking for the negativity. They're looking for something because they know the negative, the negativity and the problems inspire fear and it's clickbait and it's what drives all of us deep down. And so they know if they can spot the problems, if they can call out the problems, they're going to generate attention and make money off it. Society is incredible at spotting problems. And this story started with a problem, but it started with more than that. It started with Mary, who recognized there was some potential within the problem. There was some potential within the problem. If she could activate something in that moment, if she could do something about it, there was the potential for a miracle to come out of this problem. A miracle that would be recorded by one of the disciples who was there as an eyewitness, written down in a book that's been spread throughout the world over the last 2,000 years that can still inspire us today. It started with a problem, but it was activated by someone who saw the potential of the problem. Is this making sense? Mary wasn't focused on the problem, but on the possibility. And that's the challenge for us, church. We can align ourselves with society and the media and the people in our workplaces and our neighbours and we can spot all of the problems that surround us. It's easy. It's easy to spot the problems. 
It's easy to put on your glasses and spot all of the problems that surround us. What's challenging and what's take faith is when you can turn that to spot impossibilities for God to move and to do something special and something miraculous within those problems. That's what we have to do. We have to challenge ourselves to look a little bit differently, to see the possibilities that lie when the problems come. See, you might be facing financial challenge, but that's a possibility for God to be your provider in that moment. And you might be facing relational challenge, but there's a possibility there for God to reveal his love to you and through you into that situation. You may be facing workplace workplace problems, but there's a possibility there of God to guide your steps into something special that you can't see yet. And you may be facing health problems, but come on, there's the possibility there for God to do something miraculous in your health that transforms something in a way that you can't even believe it. We all face problems, but it's time we start spotting possibilities within our problems. That's what we're called to do, church. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I love a good film. And uh, last night, after the kids went to bed, me and Ames got chips from the chippy. We called them chippy chips. Uh, we're going to get chippy chips. And uh, we put on a film on Amazon Prime called Freelance. Probably shouldn't recommend it. There's lots of guns in it. And uh, Ames, Ames got very nervous at the amount of guns that were going off. She kept on looking at her phone, <laughs> feel her anxiety levels rising. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but when I watch a film, I always insert myself into the main character. So the main character of Freelance is John Cena, who's absolutely huge, built like a brick house. He's a wonder, he kills all the bad guys, he like saves, uh, saves a random nation that's made up. It's incredible. And I always, you know, I don't look at it and see, see myself as the monster dictator. I am, I am John Cena. I am the good guy, come to rescue the world. Like, we don't, we don't ever see ourselves as the, the bad guy in the stories. And, and I do the same when I read the Bible, I place myself in the story and I'm like, oh yes, I am the good guy in the Bible. I'm never the Pharisee. I'm never the bad guy. I'm always, always one of Jesus' disciples. And, and when I read the story of water into wine, you know what I immediately did? I placed myself as Mary in the story. I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm Mary in that story. I spot the problem, but I spot the possibility of a miracle. And I'm like, yes, Jesus, you get to work. And, and that's what I did in that, in that story, because Mary recognised that Jesus was in the room with her. Jesus could do something about it. But there's something that's changed in our context to Mary's context. See, Mary lived in a world that had an external theology, an external theology. And this speaks to the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that comes before Jesus. I'm going to teach you something this morning, church. External theology. An external theology says, right, I've got a problem. I can spot a possibility and I'm going to ask God to do something about it. And that's my job done. And so if you lived as a Jew in ancient Israel a few thousand years ago and you had a problem, you'd maybe go to the priest, an external person to yourself, and you'd tell them your problem. Or you'd go to the temple or the tabernacle, a bit like the church, and God's presence would be there. And you'd say, OK, God, we need you to do something with this problem we're facing. I spot you as my potential and you can do something about this. And so you go to someone external to yourself and you say, right, God, you do something about that. And that's your job done. 
And this external theology, like there's still some denominations today that would focus their attention that sort of way. So the Church of England have a very external theology where they say, you take your problems to God and that's your job done. And you abdicate responsibility then because you've prayed about it and you've asked God to do something. And so now you just, you trust God's sovereignty and you let him do what he thinks is best. And that's an external theology. And that's what Mary activated in the story of water into wine. She went to Jesus who was external to herself in the moment and said, Jesus, you do something about this. But times have changed. And when Jesus died on the cross and gave his life for us, and when he rose again, the relationship between man and God changed so much so that God is no longer an external being to us. But the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, and this is truly mind-blowing, even though we all know it, the Bible says that Christ lives in you. So when we face problems and when we spot the possibilities, no longer do we go to God as an external being to try and do something about this. No, we've, we've got the power of Christ inside of us because Christ lives in you. And so when we read stories of water into wine and we try and apply them to our 21st century life in 2024, then we don't just look at the story and see ourselves as Mary. I mean, that would be a good preach, you know, call on Jesus, he could do something for you. And we don't just see ourselves as the servants who had some ridiculous obedience to follow Jesus' whim and see a miracle. And I mean, that would be a good message, wouldn't it, you know? Hey, look, you know, God's calling you to some ridiculous obedience, and so maybe you've got a financial challenge, but if you give some money away and believe in generosity, then God might do something, and it's ridiculous and it's obedience, but God might do something. That might be Liam's message next week, be a good one. But when we read these stories, we don't, we don't just have to identify with those people. This is the real challenge. We can place ourselves as Jesus within the story because the Bible says that Christ lives in us. And the Bible says that we have authority over all power of the enemy. Not, not God. Jesus says that to his believers and his disciples that we, I, I have power over all authority of the enemy. And you have power over all authority of the enemy. Bible says that God's spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So when we see these stories, no longer should we see it as an external being that we just come to just to give our requests and our hopes and our dreams and leave it up to God's sovereignty, which is a good thing to do. Suddenly there's something internal that needs to happen where we have been empowered with authority to do something about it. And that's why, if only, should never be on our lips. Because we've got the power to do something in our if only situations. We've got the power to enter into situations of complete anxiety and believe that the Prince of Peace steps into that situation with us because he lives in us. And we have the power to step into situations of depression and believe that the joy of the world literally is upon us to do something in that moment. We don't just pray, God, bring joy. We are the joy when we step into that situation. And we don't just pray for healing, which is a good thing to do, but we imitate Jesus in that. And we believe that as we lay hands, something significant can happen in that moment as some power is transformed and transferred in that moment. Why? Because we have the authority. We have been empowered by God's spirit. The spirit that lives within us 
Christ in you. And that's what it means to be a true ambassador of Jesus. It's to, when you step into the workplace on a Monday morning, your focus shouldn't be, oh, Jesus, what, what could you do in this moment? But it should be, Jesus, what are you asking me to do in this moment? Jesus, how can I be your, your words in this moment? How can I be your hands in this moment? What is it you want to do in this situation? Because you have been empowered. It's not like Jesus died, went to heaven and just left us to it. He gave us his spirit, which lives within us, which empowers us to do significant things on this world. I know it's challenging. And I know it's hard to wrap your head around. And I know it's much more comfortable to think of yourself as Mary in the story and to call on God to do what we believe his, his, his will is and his purpose is. And it's, it's easier to have that external view. But if we can garner this internal perspective of God in us, man alive, something would truly transform in this community. Man, something would transform in your life and your neighbor's life and your family life. Something seriously special would happen. Seven years ago, me and Ames were engaged, and uh, when uh, when we got engaged, we um, obviously she was living with her parents and her brother and her sister, and I was living with my mum. And uh, as much as I love my mum, who's here today, um, I didn't want to welcome my new bride into my mother's house. And as much as I love Ames' family, I definitely didn't want to step into their household with my new bride because there were some things we wanted to get up to that uh, weren't conducive to a family environment like that as newlyweds and um, and so naturally conversation we had was on like oh where, where do we live like we need to we need to find a house and um, we had just about enough money to get married and to do a nice honeymoon but we didn't have any money for our house deposit which is obviously quite a big deal as you leave your home so um the assumption was we were just gonna we were gonna rent somewhere and maybe save up a bit of money and uh, with renting there's obviously flexibility and you're not tied into a long-term commitment you don't need such uh, financial weight behind you and so that was the uh, assumption we were gonna going to do when we got engaged and then Amy had this word from God and the word from God was that we needed to buy a house that was the word from God for us in that season and she felt it so strongly and, uh, and I knew her well enough then to know if she gets a word from God we're going to follow it <laughs> like that's we can we can risk our lives on that word and, uh, and I remember I, I took that word that Ames had shared with me and I took it to God and said, oh God, you know, thank you so much. It's going to be awesome. We'd love to buy a house. Uh, if you could just provide us with the money for a house now, the deposit, that'd be great. And we'll go and, we'll go and buy a house. That'd be excellent, God. And I uh, remember today, just as clearly as it was seven years ago, God said, um, God said, proceed as if you've got the money and see what happens. And to start with, that was quite easy because we'd never bought a house before. So we we're like, oh, well, we'll go to a mortgage advisor and uh, we'll see sort of how much money we need. And, uh, and the mortgage advisor looked at our salaries and said, oh, well, you could, you could, lo you could loan like 140 grand on your salaries. Um, so you probably need sort of five or 10% of that as a deposit. So like seven and a half to 10 grand. So I was like, great. I know how much money we need. Went back to God. It's like, oh God, thank you so much for your word. Really appreciate it. I want to buy a house. Um, and I, I now know how much I need. So if you could provide us with seven and a half to 10 grand, that'd be excellent. I accept check, accept bank transfer, gold deposit, happy to go digging for, for something in the back garden. Like you, you tell me, God, I'm, I'm ready. And, uh, and God's word, still remember it today as if it was seven years ago. Proceed as if you've got the money and see what happens. And, and in this moment, the rational thing to do would have been to stop. Like, oh, well, we, we don't have the money, so 
we'll, we'll rent for a bit. There's nothing wrong with renting, and we'll, we'll save up a little bit and we'll buy the house in, in the future. The rational thing would have been to think something like, oh, if only we had 10 grand. If only Ames had dated a sugar daddy before she found me. If only, if only there was, like, that would be the rational thing to do. But, like, we, we believed we were empowered. And we didn't just believe that God was an external being that we give our requests to, but we believed there was something we needed to act out in our own lives and step into and believe that as we step out, God would do something significant. So we were in agreement, all right then. Let's keep going, let's see what happens. And, um, and we tried to keep this quite contained, so I think it was just maybe Ames' family, that, Ames' parents that were really like new, praying with us on, on this journey. And so next thing you do is you sort of find a house. So we went and looked at loads of houses and couldn't find anything. And then there was a house we thought we wanted, but it sold before we could do anything about it, which is heartbreaking and continue looking. And we're getting closer and closer to the wedding. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I do not want to live with Amos' family. What was going to happen? And, uh, and then we found the house. And if you've ever bought a house, you know the feeling. You can't describe it. As soon as you walk in the front door, you just know it's the house. And it was beautiful. It had three bedrooms and lots of space. And we were really happy with it, close to church, close to work. It was a perfect house. And so I remember I went to God and said, God, we found the house. So if you could please provide me with seven and a half to ten grand, I will take it as check or cash or gold or go dig in whatever you need, God. I'm, I'm ready. I'm obedient. And remember today as if it was seven years ago what God said and God said this proceed as if you've got the money and see what happens my god we found the house now it's like proceed as if you've got the money and see what happens so we had to activate some faith in our lives and so we're like well the next thing to do is put an offering so we put an offering on this house uh, just below the asking price and they negotiated us up a little bit and ended up having the the price agreed at 139,000 pounds which meant we needed seven and a half thousand pounds of deposit and it's like god We've had the agreement. We've agreed a price on this house. We're ready. Seven and a half grand is all we need. I will accept check or cash or gold deposit and I'll go dig it in the garden if you need me to. I'm ready to receive. And uh, remember it today, just as if it was seven years ago. God said, proceed as if you've got the money and see what happens. Now I need to be clear here. We were acting on a word from God. We weren't acting on a whim. Like we had heard God's voice in this moment. We knew what God was saying. And so, well, what do you do next? Phone up the estate agents, because I'd never bought a house before, and said, all right, what happens now? And they're like, well, you need a mortgage agreement in principle from a bank, which says they will loan you the money while you go through the application process. And you need to find solicitors, and uh, you need to pay them a lot of money to get to work, basically. It's like, all right then, let's do this. So, got in contact with the bank, and uh, told them all of our financial stuff, and the agreement in principle is very, like, they don't do any background checks, basically. So they're like, how much of a deposit do you have? And I was like, seven and a half grand. And they were like, great. Yeah, here's your agreement in principle. It's like, okay. <laughs> and uh, phoned up some solicitors and found some. And I remember the moment uh, seven years ago, I think I did a check, you know. I think that might be the only time I've ever written a check was that moment. And uh, I wrote a check and sent it off and it was about 400 pounds. And I remember at that moment, I was like, all right, God, this is, this is getting real now. Like I'm now putting my money into this. Like. This best be, this best be right. And, uh, and so we had the agreement in principle. We'd paid 400 quid to the solicitors. 
and, uh, and I phoned up the estate agent and said, oh, we've got the solicitors, we've got the agreement in principle, what happens now? And they say, oh, you need to get the official mortgage offer now from a bank. You need to get it confirmed legally in writing that someone's going to give you 130, or lend you, not to give us the money, lend you 139,000 pounds to buy a house. It's like, okay then. So I phoned up the bank, made, uh, made an official appointment to apply for a mortgage. And uh, this was on a Monday, and the official uh, appointment for the mortgage was the following Monday. So I went to God. I said, God, thank you for your word. Appreciate it. Believe in it. Standing on faith. Uh, now know how much we need. I've now paid the solicitors. I've now got the appointment with the mortgage company next Monday. So if you could please provide me with £7,500, I'll take gold, I'll take cash, I'll take gold, you know, I'll go dig in the garden. Don't mind. And uh, God's word. You can still hear it today, just as if it was seven years ago. Proceed as if you've got the money and see what happens. So Monday came and went. Tuesday came and went. Wednesday came and went. Thursday came and went. Friday um, was youth pastor at a time at One Church Gloucester. So was up there most of the day, ran a mental youth program, went to McDonald's, dropped off 20 young people in my four-seater 4KA and uh, got through the door, I don't know, like 1am or something. And uh, I remember as I stepped in through the house, there was a letter on our dining table. I saw it as soon as I put my head in. And I just knew deep down that that letter was going to be the answer to the prayer. And I opened up the letter, and the letter was a cheque. The cheque was for £7,000. And uh, I was on Snapchat at the time, Snapchat at Ames straight away, said, you'll never guess what. It was the cheque for the money we needed that arrived on the Friday for the mortgage appointment on the Monday. How incredible is that? How incredible. And I think when I look back on that season of life, like we had a word from God, but it would have been so easy for us to dismiss it. In fact, it would have been, it would have been rational. Like we should have dismissed it. Like if I was advising someone now, I feel like, don't do it, it's stupid. You're kidding yourself. Like it would, have been, it would have made sense to be like, oh, if only we had the money, but we don't, so we'll, we'll do something else. But we had a word from God, and we had a belief that if we stepped out in faith, God would do something truly miraculous. And the beautiful thing is that £7,000, two and a half years later, turned into £35,000 worth of equity on a home, just the way the houses work. We managed to buy the house we own now on a mortgage. And, uh, and when we opened up our home, we had ridiculous numbers of young people through our doors who trashed just about everything in that house. But we, we believed that you know, that was literally a gift from God. He will be our provider. And that was a beautiful foundation to set for our marriage right from day one. We might not have the money in the bank, but we have complete faith that God would always provide. And it means that whenever we face challenges now, there's just this like confident peace. It's like, well, believe that God can do something about it. Believe that his power lives within me, that he's empowered me to face these scenarios. And, and it can be hard, and it can be awkward, and it can be difficult, and most of the time it's incredibly irrational. But when you step out in faith, when you have a word from God and you believe something powerful can happen in that moment, that's when we have the stories of water turning into wine. That's when we have the stories of money appearing through letterboxes. That's when we have the stories of incredible healings taking place, of life transformation in this place. And I know there are dozens of stories in this room, like mine, of God coming through at the 11th hour with the, the money that's needed, or the gift that's needed, or the word that's needed, or the challenge that's needed. Why? 
because we are a room of people who are empowered by God, who believe that when we step out in faith, God can do something significant with our lives. See, no longer is God just this external being who we bring our requests to and hope for the best. No, no, no. He is that. But he's also this internal being that's living within us, that's empowered us to make a difference to our world. So it means when we come to the problem of this building and wishing we had a better space that was purposely built or, or purposely designed for the activities we want to run, no longer do we think, if only there was another building in Podsmead we could have. No, 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 no. Now we think, hey, there is a building and we're going for it. And no longer do we think, oh, I wish we could do midweek activities from here. No, no, no. We find a space called the cafe and every Thursday morning an incredible team opens that up and we're seeing people prayed for, we're seeing people come to Sunday services, we're seeing incredible conversations take place. Why? Because there's a team of people who are willing to step out and believe they are empowered to change this community. And so when you go into your workplace tomorrow or when you meet up with your friends next week or when you find yourself with family and you spot a problem, don't just see it as a problem see it as potential but don't just see it as potential see yourself as empowered to step into that moment and do something about it make space for God to use you in that moment not just this external being but this internal being that has empowered you to do something significant in your world is that good hey will you stand with us as we bring us into land Lord that you are a God who has empowered us that has given us the power that has given us authority over all power of the enemy thank you God that your spirit lives in me I thank you that Christ lives in me that when I step into a situation I step in with the authority and power of heaven backing me up that when I pray a prayer, I pray with the spirit of Jesus Christ through my words, that when I enter a situation of anxiety, that peace enters with me, when I enter a situation of depression, that joy enters with me, when I enter financial problems, that you have promised you are our provider, that when we enter moments where healing is required, that you have promised you are our healer. Thank you, God, that you have empowered us. Hey, I don't know what problem you're facing. I don't know what problem you see in your world today. But I do know this. Every problem has potential. And that you've been empowered to hit those problems. So what I want us to do is we're going to sing through this song. And as we sing these words, I want you to picture the problem. And I want you to ask Jesus to empower you to be the solution to that problem. I want you to ask Jesus to empower you to do something about that. To empower you to bring the change. To empower you to be the miracle. To empower you to do something special and significant. So Ollie, why don't you lead us in that? And as Ollie's leading us in that, speak out. Stand on the promise. Believe God to do something significant and special in that moment.